Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and today we have the one and only Lydia Rahil. She is over 300% of quota achiever at CB Insights and part of Ireland's 30 Under 30, believe it or not. Why should people listen? Well, Lydia talks about holding the prospect accountable, speeding up our deal cycle, and foundational negotiation principles. Three, two, one, foundational episode. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. All right, Lydia, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. My first is that emails are where sales go to die. So don't rely on emails. I never end a call without scheduling a follow up on that call. Reason being is that it's a lot easier to hold prospects accountable to calls than through email. 
it also helps qualify the actual real interest and commitment of the prospect in the valuation, how willing they are to schedule that concrete next step. Cool. What's number two? Number two is that you should always apply urgency from the very first conversation. And so you should consistently be talking about or be thinking about how you can shorten the sales cycle and essentially get the deal done quicker. That doesn't mean that you need to like drive urgency with the prospect on day one to buy. What it means is that you should outline timelines, schedule call, figure out the prospect's timeline, and then hold them accountable to that timeline. And just consistently be thinking about urgency. You know, if they say a week, you schedule it for the following Monday, not the following Friday. I think those little things matter. Awesome. Round us out. What's number three? Number three is if all else fails, answer a question with a question. Alrighty. So let's start with the applying urgency from the first call. We haven't talked a lot about driving timeline. So other than just scheduling a call at the end of the this call, how do you actually go about applying urgency and driving timeline forward? What's your timeline for making a decision? That's usually, you know, in the first half of the sales cycle, what I want to ask them, not what's your timeline to sign that can be too aggressive, but what's your timeline for making a decision? And then, you know, if there are deadlines, I always like to let them know, but not in a like skeezy sales way of like, hey, you've got to get it in by this date or whatever. I more like let them know, right? Like up front, like, hey, by the way, the reason I'm asking you is because my finance team do have the ability to do this within this date. So if we talk past that, I don't want, I don't want you to be mad at me because there's different pricing. So just trying to always like be advising the client and being upfront, but not in a a way that that could put them off. So what do you do in the situation where you've got somebody who's like, yeah, I I don't have any pressing need right now. I I plan on making a decision probably in, in a quarter or two from here. Like, are there things that you're doing to pull that back? Yeah. I mean, I would first of all ask why, just understand why is it a need issue that they won't need it in two quarters? Is there a budget issue? Is it a fiscal problem? Um, There's so many reasons for that. And there's so many different answers for each, right? Like if it's like, oh, because I can't actually write a check until my next fiscal year, you can work with that, right? You can get a contract in, delay payments. If it's that I'm not hiring for another three months, I'm definitely hiring them, but they're not starting for another three months and I want to onboard them with this tool, then you can also get around that. You know, if there's pricing incentives, then you should let them know, hey, look what I can do. I don't want you to miss out on these pricing incentives. What I can do is bring you on now, start you then. You talked a lot about holding your prospects accountable. Like what other ways are you holding your prospects accountable and not just letting them give you the runaround? Yeah. I mean, in terms of not giving me the runaround, I think that depends on what stage of the cycle it is. You know, at the early stage, I do actually think that like asking for that reconnect call and really pushing for it, if someone's not willing to commit to that, the likelihood of them being like serious about things is pretty low. And I think that's always a clear way to be able to just avoid the runaround early on (laughs) and and weed that out. At the later stage, I mean, there's always a, a balance in terms of like, You never want to come off rude or or put them off, but you also need to hold them accountable at those later stages if someone's like, yeah, we're ready to move forward and then doesn't. And I guess with that, it's just always asking them questions, you know, like, hey, like, I know that you had planned on moving forward by this date. I know initially you had said this date and now it's this date and now it's still not not happened. What's going on here? Like, how can I help? So. Lydia, you mentioned something earlier where it's like, okay, they're not going to commit to a reconnect call. And that's a pretty good indicator that this might not be a serious 
prospect. And I know one of the things that you're really big on is making sure as a seller that you're spending your time in the right place. Like you're not wasting your time with a tire kicker. And so I'm curious about your philosophy around like, when do you abandon ship or tell a customer, Hey, this probably isn't good, a good fit and go focus your energy elsewhere versus, Hey, I'm going to keep trying Armani because I feel like there's something here. Yeah. I mean, it's all a lot of it's part of my like process and workflow, you know, like a lot of salespeople, like the time is obviously very important and where you spend that time is very important. And so that reconnect call is like the first filter for me. Okay. They're not willing to. And if I was iffy about them anyway, I'll probably deprioritize it, send a follow-up email and leave the ball in their court. If I felt like it was a really strong fit, regardless of the fact that they're not committing to a follow-up call, I will regretfully keep emailing them. You know, I'll say something like, okay, like when, uh, this is again, a way of holding them accountable. If they say no to the reconnect call, okay, like when will I get an update from you? When when should we sync again? You know, even if it's via email. And if there's no response by then, then I will hold them accountable, usually by sending them a calendar invite (laughs) for, you know, a week or or two weeks out with a suggested time. Um, And that usually gets gets a response for, you know, if it's a good or a bad response, it does get a response. You know, and then if you're like, way further down the sales cycle and um, say you've had two or three calls and then the, they're going dark and there's a lot of different things i use one is like the second voice tactic where i'll get my boss to reach out and again this is usually like in the negotiation phase or, or the later stage of the cycle but i'll get my boss to reach out and introduce himself and ask what's going on the, the second voice works really well i think that usually gets a response and then also the like hey quick favor are you still interested because I'm getting heat from my leadership here. Like, let me know if not, no worries. But I just want to update them and close your file out. Or like, hey, quick favor, could you let me know if if this is still, if there's still interest so I can close your file out. Like very simple, just like, and, and that gets a good response, honestly. 50% of the time they say, yeah, close, your, close my file out. But at least I know. <laughs> well, you're talking about going for no here and getting to your nose as quickly as possible. You have a similar concept when you talk about negotiation. You said never give before you get, right? And so could you give us a sense like, what do you mean by never give before you get? In the later stage, if they're asking for discounts or asking for an order form, like I just would never do either of those things before, as a rule of thumb, before just getting on a call with me, like, hey, like, I can't like just shoot in the dark here and, and go to my boss and just say like, hey, what have you got for me? I need to know if I do that and then it's not a good fit and it's not aligned, I've lost my credibility with my boss on this. And so I want to help you get where you need to be, but I need to understand where you need to be first. And so it's getting a commitment from them in terms of what they need and what they would move forward with to the best you can. Lydia, on the negotiation front, how do you handle it when the customer's trying to negotiate more than just price? What if there's other commercial terms and they throw three or four things that they want out of you at you? I mean, the commercial terms are where you need to get the most creative, in my opinion, because you don't have to just negotiate with the prospect. You can negotiate much more internally with your actual contracting team and your finance team. Yeah, I mean, an example would be that six month question of like, hey, can we do a trial? My company will will not do a trial for six months. It's a 12 month minimum. And so getting them getting to understand their budget, like, okay, what would you pay for the for the six months? Another one is like delayed payment terms. I think I think those are pretty 
crucial for clients sometimes with the way fiscal years start and end. And it's funny because a lot of folks don't realize that that's the problem. Someone will get on a call and say like, hey, we need to talk in three months because of budget issues. And they will hang up, okay, great, talk to you then and hang up the phone when actually a lot of the time what they mean by that is like, I can sign now, but I can't pay you for three months. And so again, it goes back to like making sure you're asking the right questions and then just trying to get as creative as possible to get that over the line. And how do you decide which customers you're willing to offer that to versus somebody who's just like blowing smoke and asking for the sake of asking? Yeah, that's a tough one. And actually back to uh, Nick's previous question, you know, if someone's asking for like four different things, like it's usually a pretty bad sign, to be honest. It usually means that they're just like, you guys have probably experienced it. Sometimes people just negotiate for sport. And again, it's, it's going back to that, like, don't give before you get. So if someone asks you for a bunch of stuff like you need them to be serious and and that's how you that's how, how you know you should actually go and, and fight for it and again asking those just explaining that being like totally honest and transparent like hey this is this is a lot you're asking for and like I only have so many punches I can <laughs> with my finance team so how serious is this when can you if I can get any of this done like when can you sign and actually commit to this because I just want to make sure if I if I stick my neck out for all these requests and it doesn't happen, I'm going to, it's going to really, I'm going to lose credibility internally. And just being like honest, because that is actually oftentimes the truth. Lydia, you've used the phrase, never give before you get a couple times, and you've actually described like doing it. But for the listeners who don't know what that means, can you explain what the philosophy of never give before you get actually is? Yeah. So the philosophy is essentially that if you give discounts before you've got a commitment or anything from the prospect beforehand, you're kind of just throwing stuff out there and you lose a lot of leverage. So if I, you know, if we're having a conversation with your prospect and it's our first call and you say like, all right, so what discounts can you give me? And I just say, I can give you 25% off. They can then come back (laughs) two weeks later and say like, all right, what can you do that's better than what you, what I know I can get already? And so instead of that, it's like, hey, what discounts do you do? Well, we don't do discounts per se, but like depending on what you need, I can try to think of ways to get you there. Like what exactly is it that would make you move forward with us? And if they don't know, then you say like, okay, so why don't you figure out what you need to figure out and we'll touch base on X date. Once you have all that information, then I'll go go do my part and, and try get you there. What you're doing is like Nick, to your question earlier, you're doing pre-negotiation live with your customer because what too many junior reps do is they go and the customer says, I want a discount. They go, they give them a discount. Oftentimes it's rep discretion. And then the customer comes back and says, well, I want more now versus if you can get them to negotiate against themselves up front and tell them like what they need to see and agree that they can't ask you for something unreasonable upfront before you have to burn political capital internally. It's gonna make your life a lot easier internally and it's gonna make the deal go faster with the customer because there's not this crazy back and forth twice. Yeah, and when you think about it, like you're getting the verbal on that call. When you say you've sped that cycle up, you've sped it up, you've really tightened that cycle because the conversation turns it from, hey, like give me your best offer and then you go back to them with your best offer and then they come back to you with what they can do. And then there's this another step and another step. Actually, you've just turned that into a one conversation where you've got a verbal agreement on that call. And so you've tightened that cycle and cut out a lot of steps. 
You talked about using the uh, second voice as well, which I'm a huge fan of. Could you talk about what is the the second voice? Sometimes I I get my coworker to email me. I like scary email. Like Lydia, you told me this. You told me that. Like I stuck my neck out in the line and convinced our finance team for this, and now. I haven't heard from you in three weeks about this. Like, what is going on? Like, we might we might lose this over it and forward it. And so, and just like, hey, like any help here would be great. Please help me here. And so, you just almost make yourself like this, like in between person that's about to get lose their job because of this prospect, and they're gonna. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it's basically making your boss the bad person. And you are just like this in-between person that's just trying to do their job. And and generally, if you've built a good relationship with the prospect, they're actually going to want to help you. They'll at least write back and let you know what's going on. What you're literally doing is you're having your boss or you're sending an email from your boss's email to you saying, hey, what's going on with this thing? Like, this is a big deal. We're about to lose this. And then you're just sending that to the customer. Yeah. And saying like, hey, any like insight here would be super helpful. That's after like you've emailed them three times and there's no answer or they didn't show up to your call. Okay, Lydia, I want to take us all the way back to one of the first things you said on this show, which was the decision to use phone instead of email at at critical points during a deal cycle. So maybe it's post-demo, or maybe it's you've just had a negotiation and you need to communicate something related to what you can give on pricing. And so I'm curious about, like, are there times that the average rep is going to use email where you elect to use phone? And if so, can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I would say for like the mundane, like back and forth, you can do email, right? Like it's not just like, I don't have a rule that like you literally can't do email. I send a lot of emails, but generally if there's anything critical, like always get on a call. I would either just call them straight up and if there's no answer, instead of emailing them, I'll send them an invite and say like, hey, I have an update. Because I just think those things are so much easier done over the phone. I think they also, like I said, like shorten that sales cycle and apply urgency to write, right? Like if you email like, hey, here's what we can do. It could be two days before that person writes back. If you call them, that cycle is shortened, right? You're, you're speaking to them right away. Within an hour, you've got next steps planned already. And then also those tougher conversations are just a lot easier when you're talking directly to someone. And when you're able to be upfront with them, you're able to ask them the questions you need to ask them. So I like really believe that in most cases where something's important, where it's like a, a crucial moment in the sales cycle, that, that call means best. So I got to ask about this other thing that you mentioned a while ago. You talked about negging a prospect and basically like, I wouldn't call it a backhanded insult, <laughs> but asking questions in a certain way where you're questioning why the heck they're doing things this way. Like, how do you do that without totally getting kicked out of the room? I find that the way to do it is asking questions that uncovers their pain, but also like their like the weaknesses in their process. You know what I mean? Like if you can say to them, like, what are your deliverables? How many hours are you spending getting to those deliverables? And so what's your your process to get there? You know, like, gotcha. Yeah, that that sounds hard. That sounds tough. It sounds like your team is very busy. It must be very busy. Wow, you're doing you're doing all that with only six people on your team. That's crazy. You guys must be like super busy. Um, yeah, I mean, what I've seen clients do is X, Y, Z, and what I've seen folks in your industry leverage is this, that, the other. And so I think using third-party stories about people like them that came on to whatever product you're selling and started doing it this way. 
I think that's a, a nice way to do it. All right, Lydia. So we talked about keeping the prospect accountable. We talked about speeding up deal timelines. We talked about negotiation foundations. The final question is this. We talked about all sorts of things that reps should be doing in their sales shop. My last question is, what is something completely unrelated to work that salespeople should be doing that's going to help them get better at their jobs? I think taking vacations and switching off during those vacations are really key. Beautiful. Anything you want to plug or promote before we jump off? Nope. That's it. Alrighty, everybody, hang on, go check out, connect with Lydia on LinkedIn, and hang on for a 60-second recap email coming up soon. Cheers. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Lydia Raheel include number one, if they're not willing to commit to a reconnect call, they're probably not a priority in the first place. Number two, doubling back on that point, at the end of every single call, make sure you have another meeting on the books. Don't ask people to email you once they're interested again. Number three, leverage the second voice in your negotiations. Have your manager send you an angry email and then forward the angry email over to your prospect. And then lastly, number four, give forget. Before you go and give them a 25% discount or whatever discount you're going to give, make the customer or the prospect agree to what would lead them to sign the deal before you go and give a concession. Nick, how could people help us? So Armand and I are not entirely thrilled. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free with what our final question at the end of the episodes have been. And so we're asking you, the listener, to send us a message on LinkedIn and say, Nick and Armand, I've got a better idea for your final question, and here's what it is. As a reminder, we try to steer away from things like mindset and hard work and positive attitude. Those things are table stakes to be successful in sales. And so we're looking for something a little more unique. If you've got a good idea, send it our way, and I'll buy you a coffee. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.